This is part two of my chat with Brandon Minnick. In part one, we talked about multi-threading, how it differed from asynchronous programming, what the compiler does with asynchronous code, calling async from sync, using dot result or not, aggregate exceptions, and using dot get awaiter dot get result. Another one of your recommendations is not to return an await uh, from a method. So can you give, can maybe give a little bit of an example of what that means first before we explain why you shouldn't do it? <laughs> yeah, so what that means is if, if you have an async task method and the only place in your method where you call the await keyword is in the return statement, what you can do is you can actually remove the async keyword, remove the await keyword, and just return the task. And so the benefit there is we save, we save some thread switching or some context switching because if we say thread one called that method, well, thread one runs all that code until it hits the await keyword, at which point thread one will return. Well, in this case, back to the user. Uh, meanwhile, the awaited method's running on a background thread. And then when that awaited method is done, it will return or call back to the calling thread. So in this case, it'll call back to thread one, then thread one jumps back in to essentially finish up the original method. But in this case, all it's doing is returning, it's getting the result from the awaited method and then just returning that out of the method that we're in. So by returning the task, we can avoid switching. So we switch from say thread one to a background thread and then back to thread one. So that's two extra context switches that we didn't need. Uh, and we can avoid that by just returning the task instead of using return await, waiting for the task to finish, then returning the result. So it's a little bit of a performance improvement, but it is, it's not without, it's not all gains. There is, there is one downside. And I, I think that's what you're leading me to. Is that right? Uh, please go ahead. <laughs> so, so it depends on who you're talking to. Uh, my rule of thumb is if the only place in my async method where I'm using the await keyword is in the return statement, I pull it out. But the reason why some people don't advocate for that is it will affect the call stack. Um, so when you return the task, it will almost be like, when you, when you look at your call stack, it'll almost be like the, the calling methods never happened. It's almost like this, um, this thread just kind of um, kicked off. So you, you lose a little bit of information there, but it has yet to say negatively impact me. So like, I, I definitely understand that a piece of the call stack is going to be missing when we, um, or if our code throws an exception, but typically when the code that throws an exception, well, typically when our code throws an exception, it's, because of the code around it. Um, 
rarely have I ever had to go back up four or five levels in a call stack to figure out why something happened. And so it's, it's not uncommon, but um, I've, I've never had that problem happen where I've seen a call stack with maybe a null reference exception and I haven't been able to fix it and figure it out. So this is one where, yes, you get a performance boost from it, but maybe it can make somebody else's life harder in the future when they're debugging if they don't realize that we didn't say return await. So that is, that is the trade-off. And I've seen uh, David Fowler wrote, did a write-up where he still advocates for using return await. And yeah, I, I respect David a lot. He's one of the smartest guys I've ever gotten the chance to, to meet. Um, but at the same time, for me, I, I prefer the, the performance benefit of not having to make two extra context switches. And so I think this is one where, again, just because async await stuff is so hard, the compiler's doing so much stuff under the hood that as long as we understand what'll happen, or if we get a, if we get a call stack that looks kind of funky, like it's missing some information in there, um, typically about like who called it, um, to be able to look at the code and say, oh yes, we're just returning the task instead of saying returning a wait and waiting for the task to finish and that's why it's happening. Now, all of that being said, uh, here's there's two other places where I've personally gotten burned by just returning the task. So want to get this out there just before anybody goes and refactors any code, because if you are in a try-catch block and you have return await and you're returning that value that you're awaiting for, well, if you get rid of async and you get rid of await and just return the task, that code will still compile. But now we're not waiting for the task to complete. We're just returning the task right away. And what that means is we've, as soon as we hit that task, hit that new method, we've returned out of our method, which also means we've returned out of our try catch block. So if we were hoping to catch an exception, maybe we're waiting for a exception because get async might not be able to talk to the remote server. Well, We've already exited the method. We've already exited the try-catch block. We're not going to be able to catch that exception anymore. So if you're in a try-catch block, definitely continue using return await. Uh, the other place I've been burned is with uh, using statements. So if you're if you're trying to dispose of an I disposable, and you're inside of a using block, well, use return await there as well because otherwise the same is true. You'll exit the method right away. You'll dispose of that resource that you're probably using, and then you start getting like weird null reference exceptions in your happening in your code. So, so there is there is a performance benefit, but definitely be aware of the scenario with try catch blocks and using blocks so that you don't accidentally exit your method too soon. Another thing that people either maybe use incorrectly or forget to use is configure a weight with the faults parameter. <laughs> right. Why should you use it? When shouldn't you use it? 
Yeah. So this one was one that kind of blew my mind when I learned about it. So, so continuing on with our, our get async example. So let's say thread one calls a method that, and then eventually hits that await keyword for where it's going to await uh, get products async. Well, thread one hits the await keyword. Thread one is free to return back to the user. Well, get products async is running on a background thread. Well, what happens when that thread is done, it will return back to the calling thread, in this case, thread one. And like we've been talking about, thread one is super important for me as a mobile app developer. I, I want thread one to be hanging out with the user all the time. I don't want thread one to be doing anything that doesn't need to do. Uh, but what just happened was the background thread returned back to thread one. So what do we do? Well, there is a method that we can append that is configure await false. So what this would look like in our code, we would say await get products async dot configure await false. And configure await false tells .NET I don't care what thread you return to. We don't need to return to the calling thread. So with configure wait false, now that background thread that ran get products async, when it's done, instead of returning back to thread one and handing the result back to thread one, and or even worse, you know, what if the user's sitting there swiping the screen, or maybe it's a game where a lot of stuff's going on and thread one's super busy, we would have to wait for thread one to become available to even return the result back, which means our code's kind of sitting there idle for a little bit, which is never good. With configure wait false, we tell .NET, doesn't matter. Whenever I'm done, you can hand my result back to whatever thread's available. So with configure wait false, .NET will then go to the thread pool and say, who's, who's available? And it'll grab any thread from there. So it could be thread three, it could be thread 17, and then it returns the result to that thread instead of going back to the calling thread. So this was one that was new to me because what I found in my app was, or my apps, is that a lot of times it's actions invoked from the user that kick off this code. So maybe a, a pull to refresh. Well, that is now thread one kicking off my pull to refresh method that's going to hit an API or read something from a database. Um, and what I never realized was with because I was not using configure await false that I was constantly returning back to thread one whenever those, uh, whenever those async methods were finished. And so just doing a lot of unnecessary context switching and you know, I never noticed any, any big performance impacts to my app. Um, Android's really good about giving you, uh, or we'll say yelling at you if you're dropping frames. And I, I'll see that occasionally. Like, it'll say something like, you just dropped four frames. Maybe you're doing too, st too much stuff on the UI thread. And I'm like, no way, Android, because I'm using async await. But by not saying configure await false, yeah, we were constantly returning back to the UI thread to continue executing that method. Um, now, what I do want to point out, there, there's also configure await true, 
But configure wait true is just the default. So if we were to call await uh, get products async, that's the same thing as if we were to call await get products async dot configure await true. So configure await true does tell you to return to the calling thread, but that's also just the default behavior out of the box in .NET. Kind of feels like for UIs, and a lot of people I've seen write about it, it should be the other way around. <laughs> um, but another I, question on configure await faults: Do you need to use it if your app, if your application is a web API? Because there is no UI thread to return to. Yeah. So, so yes and no. Um, but I think the real answer here lies in something that's called a synchronization context. Now, synchronization context is going a little deeper than we need to. I'll, I'll share with you a blog post uh, from, I think it was Stephen Taub on the .NET team wrote, and he even says, we're going to go really deep. We're, we're talking about execution context, synchronization context, and he's like, honestly, most .NET developers don't need to know about it. Uh, but at a high level, synchronization context essentially helps your threads hand off um, so that switching back to thread one is done in part thanks to the synchronization context. Now, the first thing I would do is to look up whether or not my runtime has a synchronization context. And me as a Xamarin developer, yes, we have a synchronization context because we have a UI thread. Um, but something new that's come along lately is .NET Core does not have a synchronization context. So, so the answer to your question about uh, I'm doing a web API, well, if it's in .NET Core, because there's no synchronization context, configure await false is the same thing as configure await true. Um, if it was in, maybe it's in ASP.NET with .NET Framework, well, Different story. So, um, what? So my here's here's my rule of thumb. Um, my rule of thumb is if I am anywhere where I know I don't need to return to the UI thread. So this one will be for specifically for UI based apps, so web apps, desktop apps, mobile apps. If I am in a layer of my code, it's like a service layer, or in Xamarin, we do a lot of MVVM. So if I'm in my view model layer, anything where I know this code will never touch the UI, I configure await false everywhere. Um, so I recommend that still um, for, for even if you're working on a web API, just because of that one scenario where maybe the calling thread is busy. So even, even in the web API, it could be thread five that kicks off uh, the code for your API controller. And thread five could hit the await keyword, kick off a background, a different background thread. Thread five's back in the thread pool, but not when that background thread's done running, it is gonna try and return to thread five. And so, Maybe you got a lot of stuff going on and thread five has already been pulled from the thread pool to help with another API call. Well, we're stuck there waiting for thread five to be available again. So my, my rule of thumb is configure away false everything. Um, whenever I 
no, I don't need to return back to a specific thread. And like I said earlier, for me, that's usually the UI thread. Uh, but on the back end, I know, and you know more about this than I do, but with uh, certain database frameworks, they need to be executed on specific threads as well. And that could also break some things with configure way false by not returning back to that calling thread. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the expert on, on an EV framework by any means. So here's a pretty loaded question. <laughs> if my application is under load, no pun intended, that never uses all the threads in the thread pool, is async just overhead to me then? Because I'm doing all this extra stuff, there's extra compilation, there's extra hundreds of bytes, there's context switching, <laughs> I've got more complicated code, but I never run out of threads because I'm not that heavily used. Right. So in this scenario, I imagine we're using, we're not using the async await keywords. We're using. I'm asking. Yeah. I'm, dot result. Yeah. We're using. Or maybe dot get away or synchronous. Result. I don't even. I don't even make an asynchronous call. You know, I, I could go with again into the framework. Oh, sure, Instead yeah. of using dot to list async, I could use to list. So if you are, like you said, calling a entity framework method and saying. Um, but we'll say, but not calling the async version of it. Is that bad? Well, in your case, if you're not running out of threads, if, you're, if your computer's still or your server's still performant, then no, it's fine. I mean, async await um, will definitely help it scale better. So like if this is an API that starts um, getting thousands or millions of calls, then you know, we do, it'd be beneficial to use async await because then we can avoid using twice as many threads. Uh, we can avoid those blocking calls. But yeah, this is one of those things where I think as developers in general, we love jumping on to the latest, greatest fun stuff, uh, which might not be necessary to implement. So yeah, I think that's probably step one is do we have a problem or do we have a performance problem or do we have plans to scale? Then if not, then if everything works, then we're good to go. But one caveat I will give to that is always think of the next developer down the line. So once, once we leave our current job and we're working at either another company or on a new team and another developer comes along and might not know about all this fun async await stuff that we've just been chatting about. Well, maybe it's then that the product decides to scale and you're now getting millions of requests and they're looking at the code and saying, this should work. I don't understand why this is happening. Well, if we had used async await, then we could have helped them out a little bit. Although if you're getting millions of requests, maybe you have different problems there anyways. But yeah, I, I like to think of it as, you know, trying to think ahead to the next person who has to develop and maintain our code and try to set them up for success. So that's why I would still use await and I would still use configure await false um, just so that they don't end up 
I guess, shot in the foot from my coat. <laughs> Good advocacy work. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, what is coming, or sorry, not even coming, we're past it. Uh, what's new in .NET Core 3 that you like? Uh, you know, one or two things. Oh, so many things. So, In relation well, to async. Specifically with, yeah, I was going to say, specifically to async await, the, I think the biggest benefit and the easiest one to implement is this new thing called value task. So historically, if we want to do an async method, there's async void, there's async task, or async task of t are the only options we've had. In, in .NET Core 3 and in .NET Standard 2.1, there's this new thing called value task. And it's very similar to the task object that we know and love. But the main difference is value task is a value type, whereas task is a reference type. And in .NET, that means that, well, in .NET, value types are initialized on the stack in memory, whereas reference types are initialized on the heap. And tasks are our reference types, it's good that they're in the heap because the way heaps work, if you think back to the computer science data structures class that, um, well, heaps are really easy to read information from. They're essentially an O of one time to find a result in a heap and pull it out. And that's because when you put something into a heap, there's a lot of overhead to index everything, to hash stuff. And with the stack, it's the opposite. So with stacks, it's quick to push things onto it. Uh, but if you want to read something from a stack, well, you first check the top of the stack. If it's not there, you have to go to the next one. If it's not there, you have to go to the next one. So reading from a stack is O of N. So it's a little bit well, it is. It takes longer than reading from a heap. But adding stuff to a stack is cheaper and quicker than adding to a heap. So coming back to value task. Value task is a value type. It goes on the stack. And the we reason this is beneficial is because if we are not using all the benefits of task in our method, then why are we spending all that extra resources and allocation putting on the heap? And so if you can picture this, let's say we have an async task method, our, our get products method that we've been using, and we want to return the products, but only if they don't already exist. So the first thing we do is let's check our list, and if there's products in it, return that. But if there's no products in our existing list, then make the API call and hit the remote server and pull down the products. So in this case, the hot path in our code is not hitting the await keyword because the first time the method runs, we will await that, that task to pull the products down from the remote API. But then the second time this method runs, we're just going to return without awaiting anything. And the third time it runs, we're just going to return. And the fourth time it runs, we're just going to return. So the hot path in our method does not use the await keyword. And if you have any methods like that in your code, you can now return 
a type of value task instead of a type of task. And what this does, it still allows us to have the benefit of task. So for that one time where we're gonna use the await keyword, we can still use it like a task and everything we know and love. But if most of the times we call this method, we're not gonna use the await keyword, well, let's just use a value task instead because then we don't have to do all that object initialization and have all that overhead. So my rule of thumb is if the hot path in your method, and by hot path, I lean towards 75, 85% of the time you're not using the await keyword, use value task. And that one's, that one's a really easy win. So that one is in, value task is in .NET Core 3. It's in .NET Standard 2.1. So if you're able to update your projects, you get it for free. But it's also available in a NuGet package, which we'll share in the, uh, the show notes as well. So even if you're still on .NET Standard 3 or .NET Core 2.1, you can add in this NuGet package and still take advantage of value task. Oh, uh, there is, there's also iAsync enumerable in .NET Core 3 and .NET Standard 2.1, but that can be a whole episode on yeah, itself. Yeah, that's not go there right <laughs> so now. We'll say use it, check it out. Um, I've already played around with some code that instead of, or we won't dive into it, but. Yeah. How would people our, find you if they want to find you? Blog posts, videos, things like that? Yeah, good question. So the best place to reach Best place to reach me is on Twitter. My handle is the Code Traveler. My direct messages are always open. If you have any questions, or if you want to chat about Xamarin stuff, or Azure stuff, or Async Await, I love it. Uh, and I do also have a website, which is CodeTraveler.io. Well, Brandon Minick, thank you very much for your time this evening. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Brian. This was a lot of fun.
Music was returned by Nisi23 from the album 11 and 12, and the closing music was The Last Days by Unheard Music Concepts from the album Home. <laughs> 